Hello, and welcome back to the Cut Tape Podcast. My name, my name <laughs> is Tristan, and as per usual, I'm joined by my three co-hosts, Bruno, yes, Zach, what's up, and Ryan. How's it do? And we just got done seeing Suicide Squad, hey. directed by James Gunn on HBO Max or in theaters now. Ah. So. Oh boy. We're going to start this review off with a non-spoiler section. Um, YouTube folks probably have a timestamp uh, for when we do the spoiler section. Spotify folks, you're just going to have to guess. Just bear with us and you'll, you'll get through it. Yep. So we're going to go through our non-spoilers and uh, say if we would recommend it or not, and then we'll move on to some of the more spoilery stuff later. So... Yeah. First thoughts, off the bat, off rip. What are we thinking? Good movie. That was really great. That was like one of my favorite superhero films, if I had to be honest. Pretty good. It's a pretty good film. <laughs> pretty good. I don't know if I go favorite. Dude, hey, dude definitely top five for me. Okay. Superheroes? Of, of su- just specifically superhero movies. Not like favorite okay. movies of all one time, of the, but superheroes, yes. One okay. of the better superhero movies I've seen in uh, a couple see. years. Now, you know, interestingly, I saw Black Widow as well. I watched that today earlier, earlier today. And uh, I think this is the first time ever since the existence of the MCU and the DCEU that I would say the DC has the better summer blockbuster. If you're stuck between choosing to see Black Widow or choosing to see The Suicide Squad, I would say go with... The Suicide Squad, unless you're a huge fan of Black Widow, I guess, but Suicide Squad is just much better. A lot of people like Marvel movies, but definitely, definitely DCU. The DCEU, like, outclasses everybody, like, this summer, for sure. Yeah, with the Suicide Squad, specifically. Yeah. They have They they haven't released any other movies this summer, right? No, I don't think so, but that statement could be interpreted poorly. (laughs) Really bad. You know, there's... It's, you would think that, you know, there's the notion that those huge companies like Warner Bros. or DC and Marvel with all this backing behind them, or Lionsgate, for example, that it would just be good, you know, with all the money that they have, which is, you know, everybody knows that that's not true. Mm-hmm. But it, it's really interesting to see if there really is a heart in the movie, you know, especially in in past few years, seeing these huge blockbusters and seeing these really large budget movies doing impressive things and to see that you know there's still a heart in the movie and it still makes a difference between how much you have and how you use it you know how how you put your film together and if really you care about the final product I felt there there was a lot of heart in this movie yeah James Gunn definitely did it again usually all of his superhero movies so far have just been like blowing me away Uh, especially like Guardians 2 this is a great follow up to his superhero filmography if you will it's really good. Um, yeah, this movie definitely has James Gunn written all over it. I would say from everything to the soundtrack to the stylistic choices. Um, and he definitely, definitely makes use, full use, of this movie's R rating. Uh, <laughs> it's extremely graphic and gory. And you do actually see a penis... And some boobs. It's got everything. It's got penis. It's got boobs. <laughs> penis, <laughs> boobs, blood, guts. What, you, what, what else do you want? What more could also, you ask for? 
comedic effect as well. Yes. Very very funny movie, if I, if I may it say. This was a pretty funny movie. I have most of these jokes here, they were kind of hitting. Yeah. They were kind of busting. Yeah. yeah. Some things that weren't even jokes were just hitting, <laughs> too. It was yeah, really funny. The rain and stuff. Out of context, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. It, it was, uh, the humor was not out of touch. Like, mm. No, he knew his target audience for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And so I think uh, it's important, obviously, with this movie existing, there's going to be a lot of contrast with David Ayer's 2016 film, mm-hmm. Suicide Squad, which this is a standalone sequel to. Um, a lot of people are going to be comparing these two movies. And David Ayers said, uh, famously, you know, his movie was a drama that got forced into being a comedy. He mm-hmm. made an action drama, the studio forced him into making a comedy. You can tell from day one that James Gunn set out to make an action comedy. Yeah. I, nothing here... Well, one thing felt kind of forced by the studio, but I'll get that to that later. Okay. But nothing here in terms of the comedy felt like added scenes later to make a joke where there maybe shouldn't be, like a lot of the stuff in Suicide Squad 2016 uh, did feel like. So I think... Mm. Contrasting these two movies, um, everything in this movie uh, is better than how it was done in 2016. Yeah. The Suicide Squad had a beautiful flow, while as Suicide Squad 2016 had this choppy, like not very coordinated flow, if you will. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because both of them were stories that were told non-chronologically. They jump around in time a little bit, but with the Suicide Squad, it feels completely natural. For and sure. you're able to stay invested even with events how you already know how they're going to end, necessarily. Was, sorry, I cut you off. Uh, was this a remake of the 2016 Suicide Squad? It's like a soft reboot. It's a standalone sequel. So like the first events, the events of the first movie did happen. But obviously, it's not a direct follow-up to that story. Yeah. It just yeah. we don't it, have Jared Leto crawling around. Thank God. Right. <laughs> so it just takes kind of the mechanics <laughs> and some of the characters. You know, the first Suicide Squad did, I would say, all of the heavy lifting, even though not much to lift in terms of explaining what Task Force X is, why Amanda Waller uses them. And what's up with the chips in their head that make them explode if they go against their orders? Yeah. Um, so obviously, if you haven't seen the first movie, you may have some questions about that. But uh, Bruno, you have not seen the first movie. Have not. Were you like unclear about anything? No. Or, so yeah, it's pretty well explained in this one as well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought um, you mentioned the storytelling a little bit and kind of the flow of the movie, and it was really nice you know obviously it's not so chronological but they tell you with these really sweet um like uh, almost comic book-esque um words i love that that was awesome yeah the text transitions that were hidden in the environment were so yeah they They, were spot on definitely um james gunn makes a lot of use of transitional text which is something i guess the best example would be scott pilgrim if anybody's seen scott pilgrim it's kind of like that, where it looks like a comic book on yeah. screen. There's a lot of transitional text. A lot of it is really well done. There's one specifically where they spell a word with a perspective shot of the like vents yeah. and like stuff that and like jeez, I don't know. Vents and poles and such that are on top of a skyscraper rooftop, and then they pan up and it yeah. becomes a pers- perspective shot of the text, which is really cool. That, that was, was really very, cool. very cool. 
Yeah. One of my favorite, seriously, one of my favorite moments in the film. It, it you know, it's not such a, it, you know, nothing catches on fire, like explodes yeah. or something. Like, it's not a huge element of the movie, but just those little things, because you could tell it was actually there. There's, like, stuff stuck into the building, and, mm. and then the camera pans up, and you can see, you can read something, and then the camera pans up, and you can see that it's not really there. It's just stuff stuck into the ground, and it's perspective, and... Yeah, things like that just make me realize that you know there are people working on these yeah. movies that really care about them and exactly. yeah. and you don't see that a lot either. I, that's like the first time I've really seen transitional text like that in a really long time since like Scott Pilgrim. But mm-hmm. it's very very creative. It's a very good use of the put in the film. You know, it's really good. Mm. Very enjoyable to see. Yeah, and so. I was also going to say there's a couple things that caught my eye. One is a lot of the effects. I would I wouldn't say a lot of the effects, but one scene specifically caught my attention. It's at the very beginning when they're on the beach. Um a lot of the stuff happening there is like practical with the explosions and stuff mm-hmm. and it looks really good. And all of the action sequences in this movie look really good. It's not um jumpy action that you would see in some cheap movie uh, where they cut around all the time. I guess not even cheap movie. They do that a lot in bigger movies, which is disappointing. It's more action closer to something like John Wick or Nobody, where a lot of your shots of people fighting or stuff happening is one continuous shot. And you can see everything in frame, and it's lit really well, and it looks really good. The only issue, I guess, with uh, that that I had was in one scene, and I still think the scene is really good, I could pretty much tell that it was a stunt double uh, doing some of the stuff and they did well with obscuring her face uh, with the use of like windows and such but it was a stunt double Um, but I'm not going to let that take away from the overall action and I would rather have it be so that I could see it was a stunt double than I couldn't see anything at all yeah because it was very sweet you know the all of the action sequences I felt like were very honest and it, it, you know you could tell there was a lot of craft put into them yeah mm-hmm. and the the shots were very um, it was almost like uh, it, it, at times it felt like a throwback or it felt like they were paying homage to old action movies mm-hmm. when it would zoom in on people yeah. and you know, there were these great wide shots and pans and things it was very 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 pretty it was very nice it was very pretty yeah Strange for action scenes, for mm-hmm. blood and gut scenes, but you know. No. It's very I, well put together, I would say. Yes. Yeah. I think one thing I really want to talk about that I think a couple of you will want to talk about as well. Ooh. John Cena. <laughs> John Cena as Peacemaker. John Cena is someone who tried to make the acting transition like The Rock, you know, from WWE to acting. Like The Rock. Um, and I think Stone Cold Steve Austin's been in a couple action movies, but, you know, The Rock is the big one that everyone's going to go to. Now, John Cena is normally in projects that are, like, kind of military movies where he's supposed to be a leading man, or Fred the movie. I was just about to say that. <laughs> There's no in between. I was just about to say that. <laughs> where he's Fred's dad. Um, I didn't know he was Fred's dad. <laughs> <laughs> give that a watch, man. We gotta get read the movie on the podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um. But 
I will say, even though I don't necessarily have full confidence in him as a leading man, there are definite improvements here. And he has a lot of scenes, especially in the third act, where I look at the screen and just... When I see his character, it doesn't hit me immediately. That's John Cena. I agree completely. I see his character, actually, which is rare. Even with The Rock in movies, I never look at it and go, that's... You know, John fucking shit nuts or whatever. <laughs> Whoever he's playing. That's a Jungle Cruise guy. I, you know, I look at it and I go, that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. But later, especially after he does some questionable things, and you can tell he's very conflicted with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And John Cena, he doesn't even, there's no lines that really portray that. It's all in his face and the emotion he shows. And it is beautiful. I wouldn't call it a masterclass of that. You know, he's mm-hmm. not. Daniel Day-Lewis, no, but he, he is talented, and James Gunn really brought it out of him, and I didn't think he had it in him. I was saying, when we were watching the movie, John Cena, like, you don't expect him to be in a movie like this. Like we said, Fred the movie, mm-hmm. military movie, but seeing him in a big summer blockbuster directed by a very well-known like superhero director, you're like, John Cena is going to either A, ruin this movie, or B, make it below average. But he really did a fantastic job. John Cena had a big year this year. He was in Fast 9 as well. I don't know if anybody really cares. I don't really care about Fast 9 or the Fast Furious series. They do make a lot of money, though. He did. He had a big year. He was in two blockbuster movies. I think he did pretty well this year. And this one, right next to Idris Elba. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Like, what? If you can stand up next to Idris Elba, my God. And some of it, I, I think, in terms of acting at least portrayed in this movie, I thought John maybe brought more to the table. In the third act, at least, I think he was bringing it to the table. He was pulling his load full on. He was not getting outshined. There was never any point where I was like, Idris Elba's carrying this. No. <laughs> no, it was... I, I didn't think that either. I mean, I did like really you said, like... third act, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> All right, carry on, Zach. Go ahead. Um... No, I feel like Idris Elba's character did a really good job, though. He was definitely one of my favorite characters in the entire movie. He just, he did a lot of good things. Yeah. They did, I think in this movie, so again, another comparison to 2016's Suicide Squad. In that movie, uh, it is helmed by Will Smith playing Deadshot. Idris Elba's blood sport is functionally the same in this movie as Deadshot was... In that movie, but Idris Elba does outdoes Will Smith in every way, mm-hmm. and it might be the writing, but I'm I'm never I've never been big on the Will Smith train. I know a lot of people really like him as an actor. He's all right. He's been in a couple good movies, but he mostly just plays Will Smith. He's one of those actors like The Rock, where I see the character and I go, "That's Will Smith." Mm-hmm. When I was watching 2016 Suicide Squad, I never looked at him and went. Oh, Deadshot? Oh, that's like, the that's from the comic book. That's Deadshot. No, he's Will Smith. He's that's the a, Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. <laughs> this is not. Where, where did you go wrong in life, man? Hmm. You're in prison now. No. Um. <laughs> Will Smith, cool guy. He's all right. Will Smith, he's all right. He's a cool fella, but it's rewind time, Will. Yeah. And uh, you got knocked out cold. Idris Elba is the better leading man here. And that's even. Idris Elba is not even necessarily someone who I would consider the greatest leading man in all of Hollywood. A lot of the movies where he leads are stuff like The Dark Tower, where normally you can watch the movie and go, 
Idris Elba was all right, you know. He was a good part of it. But he's not a leading man in anything huge. But I think here he showed up and he did the work. And it was great. It was a great performance. Um, which, again, is a weird thing to say about a DCEU super, superhero movie when you have such shitters like Ben Affleck as Batman. <laughs> Shitter. And don't worry, minor spoiler... There's no Ben Affleck Batman in this movie to show up and do dumb shit like there was in he 2016. He doesn't show up and beat up Will Smith in an alley. Yeah, he doesn't show up and beat up Bloodsport in front of his daughter. Which, that was so stupid. I have the, so many gripes. If we did that, an episode on 2016 Suicide Squad, it'd be eight hours long. Because <laughs> I, I hate that movie. I hate everything about that movie. Off topic, but that scene was terrible in 2016. <laughs> that scene was awful. <laughs> okay, back on topic here. Apart from Idris Elba and John Cena... James Gunn really did a good job at assembling a very good cast. Yes. Lots of good people helming this great movie. Yeah. I felt that he did a good job of allowing them to have their journey as characters without it being, you know, without stopping the thing, without stopping mm-hmm. the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very effective how people would tell their what they're about. Mm-hmm. It was... No matter like how long their screen time was, they got their time to shine, no matter what. Yes. The characters, uh, functionally, the characters service the plot, and the plot services the characters. It's really yeah. good writing through and through. I, I'm very happy that the DCEU has a, has a win. I know Shazam was all right, but it's good to see, Yeah. It's good to see this come out and really hit hard. Because mm. it's always been Marvel the past, what, mm-hmm. seven years? Jeez, well, longer. longer. Yeah. 2008, yeah, 13 years. Yeah, since Iron Man. They've been mm-hmm. banging out no, movies left and right that are I really guess, good. I guess in the beginning they had like the Dark Knight to contend with. That wasn't even yeah. DCEU, though. That was just... Yeah, that's not DCEU, though. That's just DC movies. Yeah. Obviously, The Joker was great. I think that was... I don't even remember what... Marvel movies were 2019. No. That was Endgame. Endgame yeah. was 2018. Are you sure? Endgame was 2019. Was it was 2019. Anymore. Endgame was 2019. I'm going to look this up because I'm pretty sure. You're right. No, you're <laughs> right. You're right. Wow. I know my Marvel movies. You're right. I didn't look it up, by the way. It just struck me. I had an epiphany. 2019. Well, I do think Joker was better than Endgame, but it's not a DCEU movie. Joker was pretty good overall. But this is DCEU. This is in their little film universe. Mm -hmm. So, um, on that topic, James Gunn, working in a DCEU film, he was poached from Marvel. And another thing uh, to take note of is Taika Waititi is in this movie. And him and James Gunn really pulled it out for Marvel. Mm -hmm. Those two, aside from the Russo brothers, those two did the most for the MCU. And it's total revitalization yeah. in Phase 3. If DC can poach Taika Waititi as, uh, as well as they have poached James Gunn to make a movie for them, they may have something. They, we may be in the DCEU renaissance if they keep this up. This is a good movie. Really. It's, it, they're, they're you know fighting above their weight class here, mm-hmm. and they're winning. <laughs> yeah, with Guardians 3 rumored to be, I think, the last Guardians movie. 
uh, and James Gunn has nowhere to go with Marvel, supposedly, then he might just come flocking this way and mm-hmm. do that DC renaissance we were speaking about. For I sure. Have, I would love to see more of... Yeah. I would love a The Suicide Squad 2 to see where the characters go and who they bring in next. Yeah, which it looks like that might be the that case. That might be the case, yeah. Mm-hmm. They have some post credit scenes. One of them is... Okay, no spoilers here. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, I'll talk about it. But one of them isn't pointing towards a movie. It's pointing towards something else. And I'll explain it later. I think you're just maybe unaware. Mm. We'll, um, we'll give a warning for spoilers up ahead here. Yeah. We'll give a warning. Uh, another thing to talk about. The soundtrack. And how it was implemented. I thought it was good. Beginning. Beginning. The beginning. Folsom, Pri- Folsom, Pri- Folsom Prison Blues. Right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. When they show... Um, hold on. Michael Rooker's character. Michael Rooker's character. Awesome. Great. That was such a yeah. good use for that. I really enjoyed that. That was really good. And I like that they had it going through the superhero yeah, scroll. Just, yeah. Through mm-hmm. the speakers in the background. That was really cool. <laughs> that was funny to me. The first time I watched it, I was like, this is kind of unusual. Because they have <laughs> yeah. Folsom Prison Blues live playing and it's doing the beginning of the DCEU crawl like how Marvel has the one where it zooms out and all the scenes of the superheroes form into the Marvel letters yeah. DCEU has theirs where it shows the like minimalist art renderings of the superheroes um, and, and during that sequence when it was saying like Warner Brothers and then like DCEU um, <laughs> Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison <laughs> is, playing. is playing and it's a little unusual but I I think it was a good song choice to lead into. I love Michael Rooker, obviously. Yeah, uh, I, cool guy. He's he's in like everything James Gunn makes. Um, but yeah, no. I really enjoyed that though. That was kind of cool. I'm not gonna lie. All the songs I I noticed with all the songs, they had them implemented by, sort of in a similar way to how Guardians of the Galaxy did it, where every song being played in the movie, pretty much is a song that is being played physically in the world of the movie as well, whether it be through a bus radio mm-hmm. or over the speakers of a prison. Yeah. yeah. Um, and especially with Folsom Prison Blues, even after it cuts out as the, like, what do you call that when it's, like, over the whole scene? When, yeah. it, when it cuts out as, like, overarching. Mm-hmm. You can still hear it in the background yeah. as if it's playing farther off in the prison. After, yeah. the, like, the really cinematic shot. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It had a, a realness to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of... And that that added to the kind of era-encompassing, or, you know, there were so many different um, sounds of, of the music, and there was different eras, and there was like Folsom Prison, but there was always, like... The, the, there was also, like, uh, 30s and 40s jazz music, mm-hmm. and, like, Just a Gigolo was playing, and mm-hmm. it was very, very nice when they were in the... Kind of the president's mansion, and there's yeah. fighting, and then you hear that it's playing somewhere in the real world like in the movies. Jazz music, yeah. And it was, was cool. it was really quite impressive. They had punk music at one point. They had classic rock. I was there like classical music, or am I just no, pulling that on my It was a pretty stellar cinematic yeah. score. Yeah. Um, it was quite enjoyable. Yeah, James Gunn keeps doing it. He always somehow manages to, like, for the beginning of Guardians 2 with the ELO, it really captures that 80s essence. And yeah, he does that yeah. again with Suicide Squad mm-hmm. for each scene, having that particular emotion playing with whatever song is going on. Mm-hmm. So stellar st- soundtrack, James Gunn, 
knocks it out of the park again. And I think transitioning from sound into visuals, the special effects and visual effects in this movie, very stellar. I specifically wrote down here in my notes, uh, King Shark. King Shark looked very good. You could see that like his skin was yeah. scarred and detailed, and the way the light reflected off it made him look like a sea creature. Yeah. It was really, really good. Mm-hmm. His eyes, everything. There was even a part where he's sitting in a bus, in the bus seat, and you can see where the fog on the window is getting rubbed off by his fin on the back of his head hitting the window, and it's just details like that. He really felt, for as ridiculous and outlandish as he looks, he really felt... <laughs> there. There, yeah. It's yeah. not like Thanos level or anything crazy where they spent a billion dollars on him, but it looks really good. This is not... This is not a comparison, but I felt that a lot of the creatures had kind of a spirit of Jim Henson. And mm-hmm. in the way that they were really there and crafted and very... Tactile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with the ones later in the movie, their eye. Yeah. I thought that looked very cool. It looked so they show Starro in the trailer. So I'll say with Starro, his eye and stuff. Really Starro looked really good. Yeah. He looked really great. Good. Yeah, I thought he was And there's a part with him nasty. <laughs> there's, there's a shot with him and Harley Quinn that I think you know what I'm referencing. That's really beautiful. Oh, him, yeah, Harley Quinn, and a couple other little gremlins, little creatures. Uh, Bruno's little friends. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Oh, no. Uh, the music there, too, or the yeah, scoring. That was, that was also really good. Mm-hmm. And the, the soundtrack, as well as the scoring, I guess we've gone back. I don't know. But the the score and the the sound behind that, too, I felt that it was very aware of what it was doing without giving too much away I'll say that it was um, it set the mood in a way that you might not expect mm-hmm. so okay another thing touching on Harley I'm going to talk about this and I'll get to some gripes um, gripe there's a scene with her in a hallway that also has some very good special effects visual effects It it's Super, it's a super creative take on an action scene, and it looks great. And a lot of her action in the movie is, I would say, smart action because a lot of movies fall into the trap of like making all the hits look super cartoonish and goofy. You know, you have like a 110 pound girl, she's like, <laughs> Ah, I'm gonna beat you, and she like punches some giant, you know. <laughs> Big Len, <laughs> bodybuilder, and he's like, Oh. But the way <laughs> the way she fights this movie is very smart. It's very well done, well choreographed. Uh, it was it it wasn't unbelievable. Yeah, but it was satisfying. Yes, it was it just good action, like just well made. Yeah, just good job all around. Everybody who worked on that, you did a good job. <laughs> you know, that's they did really good. <laughs> you passed, dude. It's good. <laughs> you're doing. You're good. You're obviously you're good, to go, buddy. good at this. You know, you're doing it better than I could. Because the, part of the the really 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 satisfying action I feel is part of that is the failures too to see someone that you're rooting for get knocked down mm-hmm. and it, it makes it more real that way. If it's too easy, it's just like okay, you know, go mm-hmm. to the movies, watch this thing, but you know, and, and especially at the end where 
one of the main heroes, or I guess the main hero, has a pretty serious failure, and I think it plays into his character. And to see the way that was done and to see kind of where they went with that in the story was, you know, they didn't leave a ton of loose ends, but there were some things that just were kind of a reminder that it wasn't a perfect world and it was more real that way, I felt. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get, I'm going to jump into the gripe I had. Okay. This is the one, this is what I was talking about earlier with the studio interference. I felt like this may not be true. I haven't done a ton of research into this. But just off the top, it didn't necessarily feel like Harley Quinn had to be in this movie. A lot of the stuff she's doing didn't feel super immediately relevant to the plot to me. Uh, she has one kind of subplot with another character mm. that pretty much could have been cut out and the story would have remained the same. I liked the scenes that were in it. Mm. I liked the way it was done. I just would have liked it more had I felt it serviced the plot more. It And I, I know, I would say, I'm not going to say for a fact, but I'm pretty sure if James Gunn had tried to make this movie, because he went to them about this, I believe, um, if he had tried to make this movie without Harley Quinn, they wouldn't have let, her, let him, because she's their moneymaker. <laughs> you know, she's yeah. what drew, yeah. she's the reason they made Birds of Prey. And, and she's what drew to Suicide Squad. Yeah. She is the moneymaker for mm. the DCEU. Merch, mm-hmm. everything. Uh, so I think that may be a big chunk of the reason why she's in this movie. Again, I don't think she was, like, terrible in this movie. But oh, she was great, actually. Margot Robbie. I thought, I mean, there, there was nothing wrong with the way she was written, the way she, the, the way the character was written and the way Margot Robbie performed her, but um, I agree that it wasn't exactly tight-knit in the central mm-hmm. plot. Um, I guess, I, and most of my problems with the movie, I'm trying to think about how to phrase this, because this sounds like I'm like giving some critique. I'll, I'll preface with this. I think Margot Robbie did a great job. I'm just being nitpicky because <laughs> I don't want to have a review where we're just like, good job, everybody. All right, back it up. No. Yeah. Um, a lot of my... A lot of the jokes... That, Roll the credits. <laughs> a lot of the jokes that didn't hit for me came from her, is how I'll phrase it. I'd say that's fair. They did A lot of her lines are, like, written... Like, she's kind of dumb <laughs> more than she's crazy. Her thing is, like, being crazy. She's not dumb. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, the only like scene is that hallway scene where you really see like Harley Harley Quinn's like craziness. Other than that, it's like what you said, it's just dumb. Yeah, well, what she dumb, goofy. We'll get into more in the spoiler section. It's it's um, I I think it's pretty difficult for um one to convey emotional intelligence versus um being silly. You know, someone who is silly or a little bit unique or a little bit quirky. You know, it's hard to portray that as not just dumb. Yes. And, yeah. uh, or emotionally unintelligent. So, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of people will, will um, find her completely hilarious, and I, I thought she was funny um, for a lot. A lot of the humor, though, wasn't my... Wasn't my... Uh, Cup of tea? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cup of coffee? Wasn't my type, yeah. You know, I know, you, I know what you're getting at. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. Uh, Timestamp, yeah. Thirty-two minutes. Jesus. Wow. Uh, okay. This so, is just a recommendation section. Yeah. So, I, does anybody else have anything to say without spoilers? Um. Not at all. Go see the movie. Go check it out. It's a good movie. So I guess we'll go into our. Would you recommend? And I'll start by saying, yes. You know, old was kind of condi- conditional. Like I would recommend it. Our last review was old for context. The movie mm-hmm. Old by M Night. Um, that was kind of conditional. I was like, maybe you could see it if you were drunk. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> you know, otherwise. But I would say this one, if you have an opportunity to see it, whether it be on HBO Max or in theaters, you should do it. If you have the free time to see a summer blockbuster, like I said, and you're stuck between Black Widow or The Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad is what I would go with, personally, and I would recommend it to any of you listening as well. Um, I think it's a great summer blockbuster with a lot of heart behind it, and it's very artistically made by James Gunn. I think he knocked it out of the park again. Yeah. Bruno? I'd agree with that. I'd recommend this movie, Drunk or Not. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times I don't go for the superhero movies as much as... As, uh, as some of the other movies. I don't, I don't go for the DC or Marvel movies as much because I feel like sometimes I can't keep up with the characters or I don't really know what's going on all of the time because I haven't uh, kept up with all these movies. That's my problem, whatever. But I'll say that this movie is not intimidating in any way and it's very enjoyable, even though I didn't know who uh, most anyone was. But I don't think they're all... Only yeah. only four of them are returning characters. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, enjoyable. For all all persons and peoples. <laughs> <laughs> if you're legal age, go see an R-rated movie. <laughs> or have a mother or father with Children you. Children, too. Go see it. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I would you're four? You're five? This is your movie. Get in that theater. <laughs> uh, James Gunn really killed it. Again, Guardians of the Galaxy being like some of my favorite like Marvel movies. Him transitioning into the DC Universe... He's done an excellent, excellent job. It was magnificent. It was, honestly, it was surprisingly magnificent after the shockingness that was 2016 Suicide Squad. I really, really enjoyed this. I say you should go see it. Definitely. 100% yes. Go watch it. Uh, James Gunn, great job. Um, I hope he's going to make some more movies in the DCU, man. I hope it's going to happen. So, now, we're going to jump into the spoiler section for anybody who doesn't want to be spoiled. There's going to be a timestamp for our YouTube viewers, where you can get right to our numerical ratings and our conclusion. And then, for our Spotify viewers, or listeners, you'll just have to guess. <laughs> this is it. This so is off until you see the movie. No more. That's, that's your final warning, and we're going to move on to spoilers. All right. So, no one was safe. There's a lot of characters in this movie. I think that's the first thing to get out of the way. There's a lot of characters in this movie by actually a lot of, like, actors who have some clout. You know, Michael Rooker, Nathan Fillion. Pete Davidson? Pete Pete Davidson, what is he doing? Sean Gunn. Pete Davidson. And they, like, like, were introduced to the movie with Michael Rooker's savant. And we go in kind of through his perspective as to what's happening. And we mm-hmm. see him getting chipped, and we, and then he gets on the mission, and he dies. And, you know, <laughs> we see Pete Davidson. He walks up. He just gets shot in the face, and he's just, boom, out of the movie. He's just dead. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the most surprising one to me 
was uh, Jai Courtney's Captain Boomerang because he was a returning character. Yeah. He was there for the full length of the 2016 Suicide Squad. And in this movie, 10 minutes in, he gets... He goes Splato Delgato. Hold on buddy. one second. He's out. Hold on one second. He's out. My first... The first man to get murked. My boy Weasel. My boy Weasel. Rest in peace to Weasel. Rest in pieces to my man Weasel. Even though he's not... Even though, <laughs> even though the after credit scene, Weasel is up. He's rocking out with he's, his cock. He's, he's, <laughs> he's rocking with his cock. <laughs> he's up and at him. He's and up I, and at him. He's I'm, out. I, for one, am excited to see more Weasel content in Me the future. Too. I hope he gets a standalone series. Oh yeah, that's what I was going to tell you about, Bruno. Hmm. That last end credit scene is not hinting at a sequel necessarily. Uh, John Cena's Peacemaker is getting his own HBO Max television series. Uh. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's pointing towards. Nice. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I guess in that, we'll see definitively if he has the chops to be a leading man. And I, for one, am I'm, rooting for him. I'm rooting for him, too. I hope that works out. I hope the weasel gets his spin off. <laughs> <laughs> John Cena kills Peacemaker. Like we talked about earlier, I think he's going to do great as this character for mm-hmm. HBO Max. And really good. I hope they have some scenes of him uh, speaking Chinese in that show because John Cena speaking Chinese is really funny. I, I seek those clips out on the internet. <laughs> All right. Um, where should we start off? So we're start. Movie opens up. Johnny Cash. Where should we start off here? Uh, Johnny Cash. We start off with uh, Michael Rooker's character. Mm, savant. 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 He looks kind of. They have Michael Rooker in this. Wig with like long flowing. He did look really funny. White hair, and he looks very funny. And he has these goggles that like look outward, like he has bug yeah. eyes. He looks very funny because Michael Rooker, you know, if anybody's seen him from Guardians of the Galaxy, he's bald. And in The Walking Dead, Merle Dixon, he has very short hair, sh- yeah. short thin hair. And then he has this <laughs> long white mane. It was um, nice. It was that was one of those satisfying moments to see him die and lose because I and you feel a little bad for the actor saying that, but the actor going through that journey of making him such an unlikable character and to see him in the battle say, "Oh, these damn amateurs!" To see them going into the line of fire and they're gonna die, and then he runs away and dies. It's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. That opening shot was one of my favorite um, opening text crawls. Mm. Oh, yeah. When he... Okay, so uh, he dies. It's very well... It's a very... Jeez, how do I say this? In 2016, Suicide Squad. (laughs) Back to (laughs) it. We we had the guy... What was his name? Slipknot or something? Yeah. And they're like, this is Slipknot. He is the man who can climb anything. And then they get into the mission and he starts trying to climb away. And they blow up his head. That's how... (laughs) I'm sorry. They introduce the guy. They go, his power is... He can climb anything. But he just, like, uses ropes. It's not like he's Spider-Man. You know, anybody can do what he's doing. But... (laughs) And then the second he climbs something, he dies. He did him dirty. And that's how they established the danger of the bombs in their heads in the 2016. And in this one, they do it much better by having somebody who we've actually seen headlines by an actor who's notable mm. and well-liked. I love Michael Rooker. I actively seek out projects he's involved in because I like what I've seen from him. And to see him go into this movie and he sees the scene of all the other characters just dying and he knows there's no hope. And Amanda Waller's telling him, 
you got to keep. You got to go back. You got to run in there. He's like, ah, and he runs away, and she blows up his head, and all the blood and brains go out into the water because he's trying to swim away, and they spell out Warner Bros. Pictures presents. That, that was so cool. That was really cool. <laughs> I knew I was nope. in for a treat as soon as I saw I really that. didn't expect that, too. That just yeah. kind of came out of nowhere. I was like, oh, he died. Then you get this transitional text. <laughs> I was like, oh, whoa. That's kind of cool. That was a power move. I really yeah. like how they kind of painted him to be this main character at first. Let's show yeah. him in everything. Like, right mm. at the beginning, this is the first guy you see. Bouncing, bouncing the bouncing ball all across the prison cell. Yeah. He gets the bomb put in. He's like, hey, you're going to get 10 years off your sentence if you go do the thing. And then you meet all these other characters, then boom, gone. Did not, yeah. did, did not get 10 years off his sentence. <laughs> well, he got all the years off his sentence, actually, because now he's dead. <laughs> now he's making a little cool title splash. Of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually kind of hoped he was in the movie a little bit longer. Yeah, I, he was, he's a cool I character. hoped a lot of these characters were in the movie a little longer. Again, I like Michael Rooker. I love Michael Rooker. But it was very funny. I'm I'm a little sad now that he won't ever like be a character in the DCEU who has some recurring roles. But I'll take it on the chin. I think he has better things to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually just glad he was in the movie at all because I remember when this first started going around, he was like out actively denying claims that he had been cast in the movie. And a lot of people thought he was King Shark. And he was like, no. He's like, I'm not in this movie, but I'd love to be involved and stuff. And to see him actually be the character that goes in and goes through the intro stuff and he did a good job it was yeah, you know, he did. I, I liked his character and good job. you know he went boom he killed the bird too. he sniped the bird kill the bird and then after he dies when they're showing like the, the opening credits of like who's in the movie they have this awesome shot where they pan over everybody that's dead and they're playing that song that's like those are people who died died yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. and it's uh they go over like the weasel and they show Pete Davidson with his whole face missing from getting shot off and, and then show they javelin. show javelin with all the shots in his chest and then they show Michael Rooker in the water and <laughs> yeah. a bird of the same species of the one that he killed with the ball lands on his corpse and starts picking bits of his brain and skull out and eating it it's just like it's just cool. It, it's just, it was really little cool. things like that are really really neat. Yeah, when you see that, yeah. It it reminded me of Panos Cosmatos Panos Cosmatos's Mandy because there's a lot of that <laughs> gore, but it's tasteful. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you see like we just watched Old and there was some gore and some body ho- body horror and you just think, oh, why is that there? You know, I don't yeah. want to be looking at that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't gross. It wasn't overly distasteful but it was sweet and the blood in the water was making words it was just perfect you know it was awesome mm. yeah that opening sequence leading up to our actual main cast was really well done mm. yeah jeez i have i'm just realizing how much i have to say this there's is gonna a, be a there, long this is gonna be a lot longer this is there's there's a lot to our, unload here for reference our non-spoiler section for old was 12 minutes long <laughs> And this one was, what, like 34 minutes by the time we actually got here? So yeah. we're, gonna, we're in for it. So moving on. Jeez, um, I'm looking over my notes. Oh, I want to talk more about Idris Elba's blood sport in comparison to Will Smith's dead shot. Okay. So initially he refuses to do the mission. He's like, I'm not joining your fucking suicide squad. She's like, and Amanda's Waller's like, we will see. And, uh, 
you end up seeing he has a relationship with his daughter, which again is parallel to the 2016 Suicide Squad. Yeah. Except in that one, Will Smith is only doing these things because he loves his daughter so much. Mm-hmm. So you expect something similar going into this scene where Bloodsport's daughter visits him in prison and it ends up just being a screaming match, and yeah. they hate each other. It, it, like, Idris Elba's like, fuck you, fuck you! Get this, like, little girl. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, dad. like, 14 years old. He's like, yeah. you suck! He's like, fuck you, I hate your fucking mother. And it's funny, it's funny, because yeah. it's unexpected. It's, it's funny, and it's a 14-year-old, and she's doing, like, imagine being 14, and you're an actor, and you show your mom. <laughs> you're 14, you're an actor, you go to you a person, this big-name actor on the other side, he's just yelling, fuck you, yeah. over and over again. You're a minor on a movie set, your parents have to be there, and watching this scene of just Il- Idris Elba just screaming and at you. And you're just telling Idris Elba to go fuck himself. Yeah. That's, Okay. That's funny. Shout out yeah. to Viola Davis too. Yes, as Waller. Wow, she brought it. Yeah. That's a that's a perfect. Even in 2016, she was that squad. That was a perfect casting. Oh, yeah. You yeah. could tell in this movie how ruthless she is and how desensitized she is to anything happening. Yeah, she's pretty crazy. She's mm-hmm. a crazy. That was lady. a pretty good comic book casting, if I had to say. She, <laughs> that did was, a, she did a really good job. She did a very good job. And it's a cool thing to see how you almost kind of root for her or at least see where she's coming from mm-hmm. with setting him up with his you know pinning him against his daughter and we're going to put your daughter in yeah. jail if you don't do this thing yeah and you're kind of thinking well okay he's a criminal and she needs this you don't know what they're doing yet but <laughs> they tell her that's a, they tell him that it's an important government mission and he has to do it yeah that activates his character arc yeah. That like puts him, that sprawls him forward. So I, I don't know if you, the listener, were able to gather, but the way she manipulates Bloodsport into doing this mission yeah. is she, uh, his daughter has committed some petty theft and uh, she threatens uh, Idris Elba's character with, or she threatens to manipulate the legal system to get his daughter tried as an adult and actually housed in prison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The same prison where he is housed, and she makes a threat on his daughter's life. You know, she says, yeah. Ooh, who knows what could happen? Our prison has the highest mortality rate yeah. in the country. Yep. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. That was dirty. That was, that was ruthless. She, she came in swinging. That was ruthless. Mm-hmm. And he's like, All right, I'll be on your suicide squad. But again, it was good because she was. Right, you know, she t- right. in the beginning of the movie, she's like, you know, I know you're a leader. You know, no one else is going to be able to lead this. And then he's like, I'm not a leader. Then she, then she's, she's like, like I'll, I'll make a leader out of you. Yeah, and then yeah. by the end of the movie, he is an effective leader. Yeah. When mm-hmm. they're in that fight with Starro, he's guiding everybody. Yeah. And they're doing their thing. Mm-hmm. Building up in Viola Davis's character to still the beginning of the movie where she kills... The guy. Michael Rooker. Savant. Michael Rooker. Savant. Yes. That's, um, I feel that that's where the character John was, I was rooting for him. And I will say I was a little confused that John, because I thought it was going to lead to John defying her. Mm -hmm. John Mm -hmm. being a, a person who works in kind of the oversight office. Yeah. Where Amanda Waller's watching them all. Yeah. And I, I understand as a filmmaker or really any kind of artist, sometimes you want to defy expectations. And maybe on a second view, then I would be a little more open-minded. 
But um, the individual that killed Viola Davis, or at least injured, he Viola just knocked her out. Yeah, just hit her with a yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I I didn't know her. I didn't I didn't know who that was. Just an office. Yeah, that was. I feel like maybe that was the direction it's going, and they just didn't want to have this big dude punch D- Viola Davis in the face. Because that would just be bad optics. Mm. <laughs> but, I could I could get behind that. Yeah. yeah. So they have some woman who works in the office do it, and she knocks Amanda Waller out, and then kind of falls into the Amanda Waller role, and she's like screaming at everybody, specifically a man named Dale. She says, "Fuck you, Dale. Get back to work. <laughs> get get back on the to work. get on the fucking satellites." He's and you know, Dale is just he's not doing anything wrong. So she. She was just pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> she was mad. She had enough. She hates Dale. So do I. Dale was a little bit of a dickhead. He looked like an asshole. He yeah, didn't really have any lines. like the two, two seconds we saw. <laughs> <laughs> looked like a horrible dude. Yeah, I agree with her. Fuck Man. you, Dale. Fuck you, Dale. I must say, I do agree. So, <laughs> I must say, I concur. Fuck you. So, our main cast of... Who is it? We got... It was Team Two. Team Two, our main team: Idris Elba, Bloodsport, John Cena's Pete's Maker, Daniela Pizza Maker, Melchior's <laughs> <laughs> Rat Catcher Two, with her little rat companion Sebastian. Sebastian, Sebastian played by a rat named Crisp Rat with two T's. <laughs> also, um, Polka Dot Man, played by David Dasmalkian. Dasmalkian, that's right. David Dasmalkian. I thought. He was another one who, we didn't talk about this in the non-spoiler section, which I am regretting. Because David S. Malkin did great in this movie. He, he was awesome. He, he was great. His performance was hilarious. He had maybe the most, he had one, a running visual gag mm-hmm. that was very <laughs> funny. And yeah. he had a lot of lines that were, if delivered by less talented actors, they could come across as stupid. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he pulled it off and he made really- it sound like his guy, his, the polka dot man. Was genuinely crazy instead. Yeah, he did that good. He did the craziness good. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's something that very well could have come off as annoying, having this kind of normal dude, maybe a bit introverted, some cl- clearly some trauma from childhood, going up against these big guys or going with these big guys. You know, the guy you want to root for. And he shoots polka dots. And he yeah. shoots freaking polka dots. <laughs> and he has that look to him, too. Like, David... Desmalkian has that look to him where he kind of looks a little crazy, you know? Like he has, yeah. he has that look in his eyes. And he plays that part really well. I, I it, thought and he it wasn't really annoying. It, no. You still want to root for him, yeah. right? You know, it's... But yeah, some people might see that as a little annoying. I but guess you, I don't think, I think if you think see that as annoying, annoying, fuck you. I know we all good. liked it, obviously. Yeah. It's so, good. If you don't like David Desmalkian, Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. If you don't like him, get out of here. I don't know. He's another actor who I think is really talented and doesn't get enough. He's going to be in Dune, which is another. He's going to have a great year. But he's in. Geez, what else was he in? He was in Ant Man. He He was the Russian guy with the sideburns. He was also in um, The Dark Knight. Yes, he was. He He played a little small role as a escaped convict from Arkham Asylum, and he played. He was um, playing as a guard or something. Yeah. Like a. He's been in a lot yeah, of it was movies, weird. but never. I'd say Polka Dot Man may be the thing he's most known for currently. Yeah. If this movie gets big, and I, 
I'm happy with that. I think he's a very talented actor, and it's always mm. nice to see someone with a lot of talent get their big roles. I'm really um, happy. Another character that we didn't talk about in the recommendation wait, section. Wait, wait, wait. We gotta hold that thought, because we have to. We have to talk about when Milton died. Shit! <laughs> We're not there yet! We're not there yet! Well, that was Polka Dot Man's biggest challenge as a character. Because he yeah. had to show that, that I mean, that was incredible. He had to show in that two-minute scene that he really did care about him, and he had to make it meaningful. It was yeah. really funny, because I think they only, like, interacted, like, once or twice, though, before Exactly. That. Yeah. yeah. And he, like, <laughs> we had this guy with us the whole time, and he just died. Yeah. And Margot Robbie's. Margot Robbie's character. Um, doesn't know his name. Doesn't know his name. Who's Millen? Who's Millen? And Idris Elba's character, Bloodsport. Who the fuck is Milton? <laughs> or no, he didn't. He was like, Milton was still with us. Like, he didn't even know. Well, and he, it, yeah, he, he didn't know. He kind and of filled that uh, role from Deadpool. The uh, taxi driver, what was his name? Fuck, I don't You no, know I'm who not, I'm talking not about. That, though, I'm, not, right? I'm not, I was thinking of somebody else. From Deadpool 2, the dude with the mustache. Mm, yeah, I think they might be the same dude. I, I think, right? No, oh, the taxi like driver. Dave, Dave or something? Yeah, yeah like, I know like, what you're talking Dave. about. Oh, yeah, yeah Dave. Yeah. The taxi driver's a different guy. In Deadpool 2, the random guy who shows yeah. up for their X-Force tryouts mm-hmm. and he ends up... That's kind of the role Milton yeah. fills in this movie. I kind of got some Deadpool nice. vibes for this movie as well. Oh, yeah. Just oh, like, the, like the comedic uh, expressions, you know. This is really kind fun. of like a Deadpool meets Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And then 10% of it is Suicide Squad 2016. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much more Deadpool and Guardians. Back to uh, David as Polka Dot Man. I'm really happy that he is making Polka Dot Man a household name. Just, it's I, about time. It's, it's about, about time. The damn time. Like <laughs> justice for Polka Dot. Man. I remember when we would be in school, we would look at dumb superheroes. Polka Dot Man's right there. He would be on that list every time. He's right yeah. there with Condiment King. You know, <laughs> and it's time he got his rise to power. What? What is Condiment? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about this after. Condiment, condiment King. I'm, I'm actually a little upset that Condiment King isn't in this movie. I feel like he's the most infamous DC dumb supervillain. He's a guy who has a mustard gun and a ketchup gun. And he, <laughs> he, he, gets, he gets condiments. He's Condiment Man, bro. I hope that. So for this movie, they gave James Gunn like a folder with characters from DC and they're like mm. you can do whatever you want with these guys and I guarantee Condiment King was in there <laughs> but I hope uh, I've actually seen some characters that were in the folder and weren't in the movie like Livewire or Batmite you know mm-hmm. these kind of yeah. little <laughs> irrelevant characters and I would love to see in a Suicide Squad sequel maybe some more of these characters making their opinion- appearances and I'm still going to be out there rooting for Condiment King yeah, <laughs> he's the number one pick for me. Let's see, let's see if he makes an appearance. I want Condiment King, and I want him played by I don't know Tom Cruise, some huge na- like Brad Pitt. That'd be awesome. <laughs> okay, I got a character. Get Ryan Reynolds in there. I got a character. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Condiment I got a character King. that we didn't Cage. talk about in the recommendations. Uh, King Shark. We didn't really talk about him that one much. One of the best characters in the movie. I mean, if you're looking for that goofy one-liner. And then, like, just out of, the, out of nowhere. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, you did a Sylvester good job. Sylvester Stallone is King Shark. King Shark is f- functionally Suicide Squad's Groot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I actually think I like him quite a bit. I like him, I think, more than I liked Groot in the first Guardians mm. movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it's one of those experiences where you go like, this should not be as funny as it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. But it just Like, is. you're sitting there watching a movie, and you're like, why am I laughing at a shark pointing at his hand and saying, hey. Bird. <laughs> like, you're like, bird. Bird. A lot of the humor comes from the fact that it's so clearly Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yeah, you can hear him. Saying the lines. It's just Rocky. Yeah. I, get all, I only hear Rocky. It's like, Adrian. Like, oh, yeah, okay. That's Sylvester Stallone. That's why Stallone right there. Rocky Reed. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. No. But you root for him too. It's another yeah. character. You, mm-hmm. you root for this DC character that you never would expect to see on the mm-hmm. big screen, and mm-hmm. you're like, "Dude, this is awesome!" <laughs> like you can't, you cannot get away from King Shark or like any character. The fact is, uh, I guess not. The fact is, the fact that Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad one, 2016, whatever, had Killer Croc, who is much more known, <laughs> yeah. and they completely blundered in every way and Killer Croc was terrible in that movie. He was <laughs> one of the worst parts of an already complete pile of shit movie. Um, Killer Croc was gross. And he, yeah, he Killer Croc gross. I feel like is a character that at least in the comic books a lot more people could easily access or get into. Yeah. And then James Gunn brings out King Shark who's like some nobody comic villain and he makes him you know same thing he did with Groot some nobody yeah. comic villain before Guardians and uh yeah, he just knocks it out with these small characters that he has a lot of creative freedom with. And I think that's where James Gunn shines because, geez, with Guardians, I imagine he had a lot of creative freedom. Because before that movie, before 2014, nobody knew who the fuck the Guardians of the Galaxy were. They were like, like people know who the Avengers are. They know who the Justice League is. They know who Teen Titans are. You know, fuck, some people know who the Young Avengers are. Nobody was rocking with <laughs> the Guardians of the Galaxy. Star-Lord? Star who? 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 who that's, that? I think that's who? where that line came from in that movie. It's just like, <laughs> who is Star-Lord? Yeah, and he does the same thing here. now. Because yeah. I didn't even, as someone who reads comics, I did not know who Bloodsport was going in. Yeah. And he ends up being the main guy. I knew who King Shark was. I knew who, I didn't know Ratcatcher 2. I don't even know if that's a thing. I think there's just Ratcatcher. Yeah. That was probably just a made-up character. No, they are all pulled from comics. I did know who Arm Fall Off Boy was. Though he oh. gets renamed. He gets renamed from AFOB to TDK. He gets called the Detachable Kid, and he's played by Nathan Fillion. Big name. And he he has um, he has a really funny scene where they're like, <laughs> all right, things are going south for us. Deploy the Detachable Kid. And he stands up, and his, his arms pop off like an action figure. And... and He's like his arms slowly wiggle over to the people shooting them, and he like kind of like lightly smacks him and like bonks him on the head, and then he just gets shredded by bullets. You hear him screaming, and the arms you see him in the background just flailing around, just dying. His arms are just getting shot up, and he's just screaming in the background. And then it cuts to him later. He's like coughing up blood, and his arms are over. Yeah, it's funny. It's I I like that because Armful Off Boy is someone who I would like. Mm-hmm. Be like, hey, check this shit out. What was this? What was DC doing in the eighties? This is ridiculous. And I would like show people, just like Condiment King. I'd be like, what is his power? He just pulls his arms off. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they made him awesome in this movie, though they renamed him. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. At least we got some AFOB representation. Yeah. yeah. Been too long. Been too long. All these, all these characters are such a great um, um, vehicle for that storytelling and that kind of unique humor and it's also kind of proves the 
a little bit unexplainable phenomenon that the closer you get to something that's meaningful to you, the closer you get to mm-hmm. uh, touching someone else as an artist. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it, you know, the, it's like people who tell stories about um, niche communities or really small um, uh, things that very little people know about. It was just, it, it, it was very amusing to see maybe things that people don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess that's tying it all the way back to the Guardians of the Galaxy analogy. Yeah, too. making those like under, like not well known characters uh, relatable. Yeah. And making them those household staples, for sure. Because mm-hmm. I think that is, to not risk getting so pretentious here, um, I think that's, that is, in many cases, what art is. Um, you know, it's like uh, our artists are, are kind of on an island. And the role of the artists is to go into the water and go to the deep water and see what's there and bring it back to the people who are on the island. And to see something like that in a big-budget DC movie is special. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have uh, a lot of appreciation for this movie. And, you know, James got knocked it out because Bloodsport, he's already got his own Fortnite skin. What? <laughs> you can't be serious. Yes, you oh man! No way! Let's go! He did it! Oh man! <laughs> my boy! I my need boy that polka dot man skin. My Fortnite. man made it big. One of my one of my favorite story <laughs> elements, right from the get go, is um, Idris Elba's Bloodsport and John Cena's um, what's his name? Peacekeep, peacemaker, peacemaker's character. Them butting heads. I felt like it was, yeah. I felt like yeah. it was a really good rivalry. <laughs> it was a funny introduction because. Oh, sorry, continue, Ryan. Oh, sorry. Uh, those two characters are pretty identical. They have pretty much the same unique gifts. Mm-hmm. Like, they could turn anything to a weapon, and I would say that. Yeah, that's what I... Yeah. I think that they had a funny introduction, because yeah. Amanda Waller introduces Bloodsport, and she goes, this is Bloodsport. In his hands, anything's a deadly weapon. He was trained from birth by his father to be a ruthless mercenary. And then she's, like, talking to Idris Elba's character... Bloodsport about what the Suicide Squad is, uh, though she doesn't call it that. And um, she's like, yep, everybody on the squad is chosen for their completely unique set of abilities. And then they get to John Cena, uh, Peacemaker, and she goes, this is Peacemaker. In his hands, anything is a deadly weapon. Uh, he was trained by his father from birth to be, and I think that's good that they introduce them like that, as people yeah. who have the same abilities, and then they show how differently these two people handle having that power that they have, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they ha- do a lot of headbutting in the movie, and in the end, it comes down to a gun uh, uh, little standoff. Wild yeah. yeah, Wild West standoff wild between West them. Standoff. And they have this gag where they're kind of one-upping each other in the prison while they're introducing people, and they're like, yeah. it just, or Bloodsport's like, I hit my targets in the center. And then uh, Peacemaker's like, I hit my targets more in the center. And he's like, you can't hit it more in the center. That doesn't make any sense. He goes, I have smaller bullets. They go through your bullets and don't touch the sides. And then um, the Western standoff is decided because they shoot and they're both so accurate and such precise marksmen who are equal in every way. They shoot and it's both deadly shots right at each other, right at the same trajectory. And their bullets collide and it ends up that Idris Elba is able to shoot Peacemaker in the throat because his bullets are smaller, and his bullet went right through Peacemaker's yeah. bullet. 
Yeah. I want to talk about that. That shot was really good. That CGI was really good for that shot, anyways. Yeah. Yes. That, it's kind that of little cool. bullet passed through his bullet. It was, it really was a cool. nice take on. Yeah. The classic Western. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it was one of those moments where you know it's gonna happen. Yeah. And you're like, all right, here we go. And then it was, it did happen, and it was exactly. very satisfying. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's another, so. Rick Flag, Colonel Rick Flag, who I don't think we talked about. No, at all, or definitely not extensively in the non-spoiler section. Um, He returns. He was also in the 2016 Suicide Squad, and I think he's a notably better character this time around. Mm. Not that he has a ton to do, but there's enough for him. There's enough for him to stand out on his own and kind of be his own guy. Mm. And the movie kind of culminates, or into in the third act, to a conflict between Rick Flag and Peacemaker, because Rick Flag, as a colonel in the army finds out that the U.S. government has been doing these crazy experiments. And he wants to leak this hard drive with all that information to the press to, you know, reveal the evils of what they've been doing. And then Peacemaker, he's like, I can't let you do that. If you do that, there will be an international incident. I've got to stop you from releasing those files. Mm -hmm. And they had a conflict that, to me, felt completely natural and both sides were understandable, which is very rare in a superhero movie. Uh, especially, or a big blockbuster. They had two. They had a completely natural conflict of character that culminates in John Cena, and you can tell the whole time he's not looking forward to or taking pleasure in having to kill Rick Flag. Yeah. He's yeah. He, and he's super conflicted about it. You can see it on his face, and John Cena throughout that whole sequence is uh, stunning for a WWE wrestler. And in the end, it comes down to just punches. And they get each other down, and John Cena's about to die, and takes a piece of porcelain that was on the ground, and he stabs it right in Rick Flagg's heart, and we get a cool Mortal Kombat X-ray scene. Yeah, that mm-hmm. also that was really cool as well. <laughs> yeah. That that was very comic book-like. It was really cool. That was awesome, actually. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, that was, that was one of those sick. comic book moments. And, yeah. And they uh, they show like the porcelain going into Rick Flagg's heart. And the blood pumping out. Yeah. And he he dies. Rick Flag dies, which I did not expect. And he yeah. says, looking down at uh, Peacemaker, he goes, Peacemaker, what a joke. And he has blood on his uh, dripping down onto John Cena. And, and you can tell John Cena, or Peacemaker, sorry, you can tell that Peacemaker felt something. There. Yeah. Like he had can, some problems with what had face. happened. Yeah. It was similar to even something like Imitation Game. Where Benedict Cumberbatch's character Alan Turing mm-hmm. is asked to stop a ship, that, a naval ship. They solve the code, they solve Enigma, mm-hmm. and then someone says, "My brother's on this ship. You got to tell them they're going to get bombed." And Alan Turing says, "No, it's not important enough. We have to make the right calls to end the war." And it's a, it's it it was similar in this movie where both yeah. sides were correct and when one of them died it was a woman like you know like you don't really want him to die it's like damn it and that goes all the way to the end end of the movie um and one of the after credit scenes the after after credit scene Mm. where someone says i heard he was a great hero and someone else says well whoever we heard that from was wrong speaking about peacemaker And um, I think it was when they're trying to find Flag at that camp, Peacemaker, uh, no, Rat Catcher 2 was like, why did they call you Peacemaker? 
And Peacemaker said, <laughs> I'll kill every man, woman, and child just to make sure there's peace. And that's kind of like, you know, ironic. <laughs> and then, then Ratcatcher turns to Polka Dot Man and says, I thought you were the crazy one. And Polka, Polka Dot Man says, I am the crazy one. <laughs> we haven't even... Got, we gotta talk about that visual guy. <laughs> Before we, before that, I do want to talk about Ratcatcher 2's character. I did like her character a lot. Yeah, I think she did really good. She, I thought she was good. She was yeah. serve, She was the kind of the straight good person all the way through. Mm. Yeah. Like she made friends with King Shark. She's the first person to ever be King Shark's friend. Yeah. That was cute. On my yeah. side right away. Yeah. She oh, yeah. Was, that was a morally. Yeah. She was the only character of the group that was like pretty much always there to be the morally yeah. good one, which was nice. But I think in that. She becomes a sort of less interesting character than the people around her. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Through no fault of the actress or the character. It's just uh, the natural way of things when you have a character who's a straight shooter without a ton of character arc. Mm-hmm. Compared to all these very complex... Not very complex, but all these complex characters who have more complicated morality. Yeah. And the way they come to grips with that. I, I liked how she kept her father's, um, like... Values. Heroin addiction. Not heroin addiction. <laughs> not that. She, she was just a good person. Because her dad, Taika Waititi, actually, was a good person, apart from the heroin. Yes. The rat, the first rat catcher. Her flashback in the bust window. That was awesome. Oh, that was so cool. That was. I want to talk about that. God damn it, I didn't talk we about that. We have so much to talk Let's about, Let's get to guys. the visual yeah, again. We have, we have so much to talk I didn't, about. Okay. God damn i got to get to this before I forget. I forgot to talk about this in the non-spoiler section. Um... Uh, the reflection shots in this movie, oh my god, the beginning, Michael Rooker in the puddle, where he's bam, bam, bouncing the ball, Mm -hmm. and then they have these shots in the bus window, where she's explaining her backstory, and the bus window is showing kind of a muddled version of it, as if it's in the, passing by the bus, and then the big one that really blew my mind was the entire fight, or the majority of the fight, between... Peacemaker and Rick Flag is shot in a panning shot through Peacemaker's helmet in the reflection of his helmet which I was watching that and I was like what? How do they do that? Because it moves around so much yeah. and I guess special effects you never see the camera which I like to think about it's like dude this is like next level shots because they're fighting in the warped perspective of his helmet which one is representative of what he stands for is he you know Peacemaker what a joke mm. and then it's also an amazing shot at the same time. Yeah. You can clearly see the fight scene, mm. and it's shot through a reflection, and the camera is moving. It's not just hidden somewhere. Yeah. I thought that was great. That it was, was a power... There were a lot of directorial power moves in this movie. Yes, there was a lot of flexing. Yeah. it was, The ratio between flexing and serving the story, you know, it, it was... the. Everything served the story. Else, James Gunn said, "All right, guys, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta flex you a little I'll bit. I gotta flex you. <laughs> I really gotta show what's up with the DCEU when I it's in hear. my hands." David Ayers, I'm sorry, bro. I pull up. <laughs> <laughs> he did. And he he did. really did. Put him in the ground. No. Uh, back to the visual gag, since this was kind of an off-topic rant. Yeah. Um. So Polka Dot Man has this line at the beginning. Where he's like, they're talking about, I guess, they have to go through this camp and kill all the people in the camp silently. And once they're done, Polka Dot Man's like, I don't like killing people. 
but if I imagine them as my mom, it's easy. <laughs> and then they elaborate on that later, and he it's explained that he can only see other people as his mom. It has, like, shots of the entire cast all morphed into Pokemon's man's mom. And another part is where they're at the, at the club. Yes. And he's dancing around all these people, all these girls, <laughs> and they all turn into his mom. Yeah, the camera does a nice 180 yeah, transition. Nice 180. That was really it, cool as well. It, go, it goes above. So he's dancing with these people, and at first you see it normal, and then the camera spins around like 360, and then it gets back to the front, and everybody there besides him has become his mom. Even the dudes. They had yeah. They had a version of his mom that had like a full beard, because there was a dude with a beard. And then at the end, when he fights Starro, he can only be convinced to get over his fears because <laughs> he sees... Line, best line in the movie by Idris Elba. That's your mom! <laughs> then he looks up. Looks up. 80-foot figure of his mom <laughs> destroying a building. That was awesome. Okay, but that that whole um, camp scene, back to the camp scene, that was funny. That was funny because we had the two um, main characters, Peacemaker and Bloodshot, butting heads. They're like, oh, I can kill this guy. Yeah, and then it's only I can kill this guy, Cooler, if I do this. Um, Exploding bullets. And he's like, damn, that is cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's just an entire one obsession of Mm -hmm. them killing people, getting more and more increasingly crazy. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. crashing heads. I'm sorry. It's really cool. A lot of really creative kills, like Mortal Kombat fatalities. Yeah. They shoot one guy who's got his penis out. Uh, <laughs> really they, sad. They shoot. Uh, there's a dude taking a bath, and Idris Elba like 360 no scopes a shot into the like little table next to him, so that the fan plugged into the wall falls into his bathtub and electrocutes him. And then Peacemaker over the shoulder shoots some dude, and it hits the guy like in the chest. And Idris Elba's like, "Non lethal, I win." And then Peacemaker goes. Uh, exploding compression bullets, bitch. And then <laughs> the dude explodes. And, and there was a lot of funny stuff. Like, they would kill people and then Idris Elba would flip them off and John Cena would return in form by pretending to jerk off and come on his face. <laughs> <laughs> Then after that whole thing was done, it turns out they were killing the good guys. That's <laughs> yeah. such a funny gag. It's revealed at the end of this huge extensive kill scene where like people get eaten alive by mm-hmm. King Shark and yeah. like, killed in horrific ways. That they were actually the freedom fighters and Rick Flag <laughs> wasn't captured. He was just with them. He was just trying to figure out how to invade the city. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. That was... That was funny. That was, was too much. Was, <laughs> that I was... I can't handle it. That was really funny. That made me laugh. Yeah, I'll admit, it was funny. It was kind of sad. It was kind of sad. It was funny and sad. Because the girl, the leader, was looking around. There's just hundreds of dead corpses around the whole camp. And she's just in horror. Like, just looking around. Those were my friends. Those were my family. Yeah. King Shark spits out, like, a bullet or something. Yeah. He he spits out uh, the dude's necklace. Oh, that's what what it was. The first dude that they killed was wearing, like, a shark tooth necklace. Yeah. And King Shark spits out his necklace. So another character who we haven't talked about yet. Jeez, there's a lot to talk about. We haven't even talked about this guy at all. Uh Uh-oh. Peter Capaldi's Mm. The Thinker. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about The Thinker. The villain. The villain. One of the 90 villains in this movie. Mm. Um, He didn't have a huge role, but... You know, Peter Capaldi did a good job. Nobody here did a bad job. 
Peter Capaldi did a good job. He became an interesting character. He was talking yeah. about how much he wanted rats in his asshole. Um, his character sex with Starro. <laughs> he had sex with Starro. Uh, you know, just the normal villain stuff, really. Yeah. It happens, you know? You know Weird just, guy. Same thing with Thanos. Um, oh, yeah. It's Thanos, you know, also mm-hmm. wanting rats. Yellow jacket right from Ant-Man. Um, <laughs> uh, no. So... Peter Capaldi's role in the movie is like he's the only guy who can control Starro, but really he can't. He just says that to the people who took over the government he was working for so that they didn't execute him. Uh-huh. Uh, he was really just the lead scientist on the Project Starfish, which is what the name they have for the experiments they're doing with Starro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's there for a little while. He doesn't have a ton of screen time, but he serves his purpose. And he gets brutally killed. He gets, like, his limbs ripped off by Starro, and he gets splattered against the window. There's a great kind of reveal scene where him and the surviving members of the Suicide Squad are in the area where all of the minions of the starfish are in Mm -hmm. the cages, and they're having experiments performed on them, and they have, like, flashback footage of him... Doing early on experience uh, uh, experiments of creating this monster, and it's just you know really kind of horrifying, and the fact that he's um, his character is indifferent mm-hmm. was really really quite powerful. The visual effects for that the lab scene where he's where they had the test subjects not in the cage but like on oh, the, the table that, like the, that oh, was yeah. crazy. That was mm-hmm. kind of gory and. There's one it's dude who, cool. who's got, like, his legs removed. Yeah, his legs were gone, and some dude's face was gone, like, in a star. Yeah. Starfish shape, you know? Sucked him so, up. Yeah. I want to talk about Starro, because through one line, they effectively make you feel bad for a character who should be the equivalent of, like, Abomination from the Hulk 2008. Yeah. You know, like, just one of those mindless beast mm-hmm. CGI villains. So they, like, fight Starro... And then they find a way to kill him, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about in a bit. And, uh, you know, as he's dying, he can speak through the mouths of the people he's mind-controlled. And he's like, you know, I was happy just floating in space and looking at the stars. Because really, you think about it, he was taken against his will. He just got yeah. kind of forced into this shitty situation. He didn't come to kill people. He didn't come to do anything malicious. And him doing that at the end was just retaliation for the 30 years of torture, basically, that... Yeah. He endured. Mm-hmm. Which is a very good way to handle a mindless beast villain, you know? Yeah. It's like if they made you feel bad for the Rancor in Return of the Jedi. Because mm-hmm. he's yeah. essentially, you know... Yeah, you see, like, the Rancor's, like, pet handler, like, walking with crying. <laughs> You're like, oh, come on, the, the Rancor. You're at the Rancor, bro. At the Rancor, man. There was where, a... Sorry. A oh, nice, where, where are we at? Oh, damn. Uh, one minute, 18 seconds. <laughs> So an hour and 18 minutes? <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool, cool. All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. I just, well, I don't have much to say except that there was a picture shown twice of American astronauts with a little starfish. Mm-hmm. That's the Starro. I thought that was nice to adding a little bit of background and a little bit of personality. Yeah, backstory, there. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool villain. Liked him. Uh, I like Starro. Starro's one of those villains because he is, uh, so this is another contrast between 2016 Suicide Squad and 2021 The Suicide Squad, both of them have Justice League-level villains. Mm. 
One is handled extremely well. One is handled extremely poorly. So in Justice League 2016, they have Enchantress and the other guy, her mindless minion. Mm-hmm. He wasn't mindless. He was like another. He was like her brother or something. And uh, they have El Diablo like, he's all my family. And he's like kills himself to fight him. And then there's like the giant blue beam in the sky. It's just super lame, tropey stuff. And in uh, 2021, the Suicide Squad, they get really creative with how this team of effectively low-level super-powered people has to fight this giant threat that would be a challenge for, like, Superman yeah. or something. Um, and they end up beating him by basically, like, King Shark and Polka Dot Man and um, fucking... Ratcatcher. Blood, and... I was going to say Bloodsport, uh, distracting him. And then Ratcatcher 2 ends up killing him by summoning, summoning an army of ants to, like, get inside his body. And there's this cool shot of Harley Quinn... Uh, opens up his eyeball so that the rats can all get into his eye. Yeah. And she gets in with this javelin that Javelin, the character, gave Gift, her when he yeah. died in the beginning. Um, she, like, stabs into the eye and jumps in, and inside the eye it's, like, water. So there's this cool underwater shot mm-hmm. of her, and they're looking around, and there's, like, all the inner workings of Starro's eyeball. And then all the rats swim in and start chewing up his membranes yeah. and his nerves and stuff. I talked about this a little bit during the non-spoiler section when there was really almost garish, happy music playing yeah, during Yeah, I was that. just about to say that. You really enjoyed that soundtrack part. Yes, I did. Yeah, that, that was actually really enjoyable. And then you see the rats going in there. And they're eating up the starfish's eye and, like, the nerves and just really getting in there. And then it pans out to the starfish just bleeding, gushing blood everywhere. And it, yeah. it, finally, it finally dies. Starro finally dies. But that was really cool. That was really unique mm-hmm. way to use that, you know. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It was well done. Yeah, very well mm-hmm. Boom. Knocked out of the park. So there's some, ah, uh, jeez, dude, I really didn't talk about anything. Oh, my God. So there's Harley Quinn's subplot. Not one thing. So this is, there's like a revolving door for the villains in the leader of this South American country where they have to go to. And Harley Quinn falls in love with the first guy who's the leader of the country. And they like have like a Disney princess romance. Another garish, (laughs) another instance where maybe the soundtrack doesn't, uh, what am I trying to say? The soundtrack isn't, Earnest, but it's intentional, so it works, and mm-hmm. it's kind of funny, and it's enjoyable. Yeah. And it ends with him talking about how he will now use the means that the former government was using to torture people for himself to torture the enemies, his enemies now, and their children. Yeah. And yeah. Harley Quinn shoots him, <laughs> shoots him in the chest, <laughs> and then talks about how like she would look for red flags because she dated yeah. the Joker before. And then she goes on this weird, so this weird like psychopath rant while he's choking on his own blood. And that was not. I liked that though because it that was, was funny. yeah. I like I, I liked it. I that was it was, that was yeah. Harley's insanity shining. Yeah, she was clearly insane. She did the right thing for insane reasons. Yeah. Um. And then she gets arrested and she gets imprisoned by the next guy, another general mm-hmm. who becomes the president, and they have to interrogate her. And uh, she just you know singing. As with any movie with Margot Robbie, there's a. a minute-long scene of just her feet doing stuff. Yep. Just classic Margot Robbie. <laughs> You've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. 
I thought maybe it was a Tarantino exclusive, but it's just a Margot Robbie staple now. You got to see your feet. I can't complain. <laughs> I saw the goods. <laughs> no, she like fights the guards. She kills the first guard. They have her like strung up by her arms, and they're tasing her and like whipping her or something. And then the guard turns around because she's pretending to be unconscious. Yeah. And she like grabs his neck with her, Gets him in her legs and choke. does like a pull up. And it breaks his neck, That's which how was I cool. Let it go. Oh my god! And um, shut up. <laughs> she gets. Jesus she gets, Christ. She gets uh, the keys with her feet. We get that unlocking scene. Uh-huh. Uh, minute long, her grabbing keys and unlocking herself with the feet. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> that was just James going going hard. To um, and uh, Dan Schneider mode. <laughs> <laughs> They, they brought in Dan Schneider for that. For that, they, they're like, we gotta call the big guns for this one. This is all Dan Schneider. This is all Quentin Tarantino. This is. They're gonna love this movie. If you're listening to this right now, you're Dan Schneider or you're Quentin Tarantino. This is for you. I'm this telling is for you. you. No. Uh, so then they have her breakout scene mm-hmm. of her going through, and she fights a lot of. Like I said earlier, a lot of her fight choreography is smart, and she's using a lot of things like leverage and weapons and spacing mm. in order to fight opponents who would normally be able to physically overpower her. And she's doing stuff like hitting them with the metal doors and like breaking their noses or like stepping back and kicking them in the face with a sidekick to get them away. Um, a lot of real smart fight choreography. What song was playing there? Jeez, I don't remember. Mm, Some, just a gigolo? Yes. Just a gig- yeah, just... Oh, it was just a gigolo. That was a very good fit for that whole... Uh, fight scene honestly yeah. that was very very good with the flowers the yeah. flowers the, well, I love the flowers I'm, I'm gonna get to that so she gets topside like she gets through all the guards underground right. she gets two M16s there's a scene of her kicking down the doors and there's a room full of dudes and she has an M16 in both hands she's like just screaming and like mowing them down yeah and then as she's doing this it transitions into like a beautiful shot where there's like these visual effects flowers and like butterflies and stuff coming and she, she like slit a dude's throat and instead of blood coming out like butterflies will fly out and there's yeah. like flowers and then uh, it's one long shot of her walking down the hallway just fucking murdering people um, and it's really that's the one where I could see that it was a stunt double mm-hmm. um, but again I like the scene were the muzzle flashes also um, butterflies and flowers? I think so that was awesome. Oh, there was a lot going on. There was a lot, there was going, a lot going, on. going on. And also, she finds the javelin just out of nowhere, and she brings that into use. That was pretty cool. Well, they have it in, like... Because she had it when they captured her. Yeah. So they have it in, like, the place with her stuff or something. Yeah. Something. I don't know. Yeah, and that's... Like, her driving force through the movie, mm-hmm. or a recurring motif, is that uh, when Javelin dies, his he's giving her the javelin. He's like, you are the only one fit to carry my javelin. And then she's like, okay. And he's like, you must carry it for. And he dies before he can finish his sentence. So he's trying to figure out why she got this javelin. She's talking about if she's like waiting for a sign from God or yeah. Jesus. And then at the end, she's like, I know what I got the javelin for. <laughs> and then goes to kill Starro. That was a good journey, too, yeah. with that javelin. You know, the building's falling over. Mm-hmm. And she says, ah, it rolls towards her. And she keeps finding it. Mm-hmm. It's good. She would have died in that scene without the javelin because she uses it to catch herself in the wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was funny, too. Yeah. What, uh, what does um, 
I don't remember the line, but when she says, for what? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> yeah. Just slapping his face, yeah. just a dead When Javelin dead dies, man's yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> like, for what? For and what? That is a moment where, Tristan, you mentioned the Foley art. Yes. Which was stellar in this film. Mm-hmm. The soundscape was nice. It sounded very immersive, I will say. So while, while we were watching it, and there was that scene of her... She, like, slaps Javelin's face to wake him up while he's dead. And it was a nice... I immediately recognized it. It's a fully sound where it was two... It was, like, a wood block either hitting another wood block, like you would do to create, like, a fake whip mm-hmm. sound effect almost. Yeah. Or a wood block hitting something else. But it sounded like she was slapping wood yeah. when she was slapping his face. And a lot of... Yeah, like you said, the soundscape in this movie was nice. Mm-hmm. I think it's always fun to pick up on... When watching movie, pick up on a piece of Foley sound. Oh yeah, and kind of it makes you appreciate because yeah, 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 yeah. you remember this is a production that so many people have worked on. You can't imagine this is hundreds of people, and somewhere out there, there's a Foley artist who <laughs> two years ago recorded the sound slapping wood and never thought anybody would notice it. But it's here like, I am, you son of a bitch! I'm coming. I'm, I'm it's like when you, you hear out. the Wilhelm scream in Star Wars. It's like, <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it. Um, this is a strange connection but if anyone listening has ever seen the movie Space is the Place written and directed by the jazz musician Sun Ra there's a lot of people talking and you can hear the sounds of the rooms and it's really kind of jarring at times and kind of fun to listen to at the same time and there was just a touch of that in this movie and there was a touch of that realism Mm-hmm. It, I think that the environment was extremely real. After listening to this, go watch that movie right now. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Space is the place. Always watch Space is the place. Always watch it. Uh-oh. Good I've, film. I've never seen that. I've never seen Space is the Uh-oh. place. It's very good. <laughs> We're in trouble. Jeez, <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I feel like there's still a lot to talk about, but it's not hitting me at the moment. Does anybody have anything... I want to talk about still. I mean, it the movie did have uh, for spoiler stuff. It did have a nice little car chase that almost every superhero movie has. But I like how they did it mm-hmm. more See, than most. What was that song they had playing in the car? Oh, I don't remember. But it was some it was a good it was song. a good choice some song from the eighties. It 80s. was some like pop song playing yeah. in the car. And there was the shot of the clouds moving quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Also, when the, the fire was there. That was a nice one of those. One of those more text transitions. That was another yeah, good one. After the fiery crash, it was like Operation Jotunheim, mm-hmm. and then Flag was like, "Hold on, we got something else to do." Then it changed from Operation Jotunheim to Operation Harley. Yeah, because like, they had to go save Harley. Yeah, they had to go save Harley. I like that. I like that one scene. Um, there was kind of a tense scene where uh, the three main dudes uh, Bloodsport Peacemaker Rick Flag had been captured and they were in the back of that truck mm-hmm. and they have the kind of the tense scene where Idris Elba takes the cigarette from the guy and he's like dim mock and he's like what? and he explains like the death touch and uh, killing a man with uh, one blow one blow and the dude's like yeah no way you could never it's just not reliable and he's like yeah, for amateurs. And then uh, Peacemaker's like on one, and then they go one, and they all, like, they have three dudes across from them, 
and they all instantly kill the Dude across yeah. from them with one touch, with the dim mock touch of death. And then Jay Cena starts grinding on him. <laughs> <laughs> John Cena, to unlock his cuffs, immediately turns around, big bubble butt out. <laughs> That's starts, a phrase. Starts, he starts grinding on homie after he killed him with the dim mock. <laughs> he takes the shotgun, shoots through the, um, the barricaded wall of... Um, separating the back from the front of the driver seat or whatever, mm. he grabs the passenger <laughs> and starts shaking him up and down until he's dead. Yeah. Was, he, shoots, uh, <laughs> he, he shoots through the wall and hits the driver with a shotgun through the barrier. And then that was that was funny because there's the scene of him up against the wall and he's yeah. like looks so weird and you could just see him just it's like gra- farther away from the car and you can see his arm reaching through grabbing this dude and he's just bashing his head against the ceiling until he dies. You know who would have been really useful for that scene? Hmm. Arm fall off boy. Arm, yeah, that's a, the detachable kid. He could have had it done. Yeah, he could have had, had it. He could have had it done. They should not have killed my boy. Honestly, I don't think he died. Actually, I don't know because all the other ones they had them like turn red. Everybody except Harley. But if you notice, the detachable kid never turned red on the screen. And when they show him, when everybody's a dead body, he's not dead. He's just coughing up blood. Yeah. I'm, Bring hoping, back. I'm hoping and praying to God we get Arm Fall <laughs> Off Boy. TDK and the Weasel series coming out next year. Give me Arm Fall Off Boy and the Weasel buddy cop show. That's what I want. Oh, God. It's going to be the new Starsky and Hutch. It's gonna be Nathan Fillion and Sean Gunn just banging it out. Just yes, yeah. I hit everything that I like in this movie overall. I'm sure there's a ton of other things that I missed, but yeah, I definitely got probably, a lot of yeah. things. Um, I, I don't think I have that much to talk about anymore. <laughs> I think we're about ready to wrap it up. I am at least, although there's probably something more I can talk about. But I think I got the point across. Yeah. What do you What do you think, Bruno? You have anything else you want to touch on? Speaking of wrapping it up, okay. At the end, where they finally defeat the killer, mm-hmm. the Starro, the big villain, big man Starfish, mm-hmm. you see everyone go through their final act of their journey, mm-hmm. and it was incredibly satisfying. Yeah. To see um, Idris Elba's character <clears throat> Dubois, who is become the leader. And mm-hmm. he has succeeded in many ways and yeah. failed in some ways. You know, Polka Dot Man, he says, that's your mom! And then he, Polka Dot Man dies. You know, mm-hmm. it's this kind of gut-wrenching thing where we're at the end of the tale and it's a success. However, you know, there's a lot of pain, too. Mm-hmm. Polka Dot Man, R.I.P. Yeah, that, that, one, that one was unexpected, honestly. I expected, I thought... Probably Polka Dot Man's not living through. Yeah. I could see Bloodsport coming back because he, he could end up, mm-hmm. you know, because there wasn't always a time where Deadpool <clears throat> was a household name. Yeah. Bloodsport's one of those ones who could end up like him. Uh, oh, for sure. I thought King Shark was going to die there at a, at a yeah. moment. I thought he was dead. There's a I... lot of points where it seems like he's dead, mm-hmm. and then he just keeps getting back up. <laughs> he keeps he keeps slamming it. There's, he keeps going. Like he gets eaten by piranhas and he just tanks it. He just gets back yeah. up. He, he gets, gets covered in a building. Don't matter. <laughs> don't matter. He gets shot like 500 times by the, it the country's matter. militia. He just covers his face with his hands and he's literally fine. <laughs> Bloodsport shoots him a couple times. Like Bloodsport shoots him with the big gun and he's just like, ow. And yeah, it, ow. Uh, Can't she, kill him. 
Even Starro can't get him because his face is too oddly shaped for the starfish to go for. <laughs> they were just bouncing off his face. <laughs> yeah. Unkillable. <laughs> I think that throughout the whole movie, the characters, despite their unusual source material and mm-hmm. the different places that they came from, they all worked extremely well together and that carried through the whole movie. Yeah. All right. Big thanks to James Gunn. He, so, he did it. Yeah. My boy Shout out it. James Gunn. You did it again. Mm-hmm. You pulled up. All right, we're getting into our numerical Rating. numerical analysis, our breakdown, our big brain mm-hmm. striking review. Bruno, you want to kick us off for that? Soundtrack and score. Nine out of ten. Bangers all the way through. And for the whole film, I'll do I'll do the same rating for the entire experience. Nine out of ten movie. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm. I'll give a nine out of ten for the entire film as well. It was just so well executed. Soundtrack too, like you said, definitely deserves that nine out of ten score. James Gunn always knows how to combine those great actual songs into his movies. Mm-hmm. I will also give it a nine out of ten. <laughs> Um, the same page today. Action, very good. Um, soundtrack, score, very, very good. It all ties together. Um, yeah, James Gunn did a really good job. Acting, really good. John Cena, <gasps> I, hope, I hope the best for you, man. I hope everything goes good for you. Peacemaker TV series. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a banger. Yeah. yeah, I guess we're going to go around the board. I'm going to have to guess, say, numerically, 9 out of 10. It was a banger. It was, hey, a, it was awesome, dude. It was a great movie. And that's, you know, that's something I never in a million years thought I would be saying. So this is a, I guess, juxtaposition to the other Suicide Squad movie. Because I consider Suicide Squad 2016 to be the worst film I have ever seen. And... The, oh my god. The Suicide Squad is, geez, one of the best blockbusters I've ever seen. Maybe not the best film. It's not some art house film. It's not super symbolic. But it's fun. And you want to rewatch it after you're done watching it. Yep. And there's definitely artistic merit. And the soundtrack is banger. And all the actors. Clearly, I want to say it was very clear to me watching the film that everybody had fun making it. And they gave it their all. And too. they and through that, through yeah. James Gunn creating clearly a pleasant, enjoyable experience. I guess I shouldn't make assumptions like that. But mm-hmm. what seemed to me to be a pleasant and enjoyable experience to film, even through some of the behind-the-scenes stuff I've seen, through that he brought out the best in yes. a lot of actors who maybe weren't on everybody's radar. You know, pretty much everybody except Idris Elba isn't some A-list actor. Um, Viola Davis is up there. There are yeah. a few other ones. Yeah, they're I mean, all pretty. Yeah, like Michael I really, I really can't get over um, John Cena though. John yeah. Cena gave it his all. Dude. John Cena, as much as I vehemently disagree with you selling out, as much as I love videos of you speaking Mandarin Chinese, they're so funny, John. Please keep making those. They're hilarious. I love them. You really, you know, John Cena pulled out the stops for this one. Yeah, he did. He gave a performance off the top. 
as a character, separated from the actor, better than I think any performance I've seen from The Rock. Mm-hmm. Because in this movie, I didn't just see John Cena the whole time, like I said earlier. Oh. He was Peacemaker. He was a DC character. Really? And he had a lot of personality, you know. Really filled yeah. the character. And he was able to do what other less experienced actors can't do and convey perfectly what his character is feeling and experiencing without saying a word. And um, that is just... Everything about this movie is so... Jeez, uh, I don't know how to say this. So bravely and loudly defiant of ev- everything that I would have expected from this project, just hearing about it. John Cena acting, I was wrong before about John Cena acting. I didn't think he was a good actor. I didn't think he would ever be a respectable actor with respectable performances. I was wrong about that. Suicide Squad, I thought, this is a property dead in the water. (laughs) They're never going to do anything great with this. I was wrong. I was wrong. This is a truly great film with a lot of artistic merit, and I think it's going to be a modern classic like Guardians of the Galaxy, and this is, you know, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is the second best MCU movie of all time. I think only Infinity War does it better, and that's not even on film merits, that's just because of what it is. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, but this is a movie that I would put on par with Guardians 1, and I would like to see where these characters go from here. I'm going to be watching the Peacemaker show on HBO Max, and, um, Cool. I hope I hope yeah. that I enjoy it. Yeah. And I want to see more. I want to see Taika Waititi step into the DCEU. And I want to see more from James Gunn here. I All these directors... Warner Brothers... So I'm going to talk a bit about David Ayers okay. and what happened with that production. He has spoken all, quite a bit about how he wants his cut of the film to be released and how it turned out the way it did because of studio interference. And I believe that because David Ayers made the movie Theory, um, which I thought was very good. He's clearly a talented director. And me saying those things about Suicide Squad, or saying I think it's the worst movie of all time, I do not fault David Ayers for that. Knowing what I know about the production of it, I do not fault him for that. I think he's still a great actor, and I still hope to see him succeed. Not actor, director, sorry. And um, uh, it's a shame that it turned out the way it did for him, But I think, had it not turned out that way, had that movie not had a 70% drop-off on the second weekend, had that movie not been universally slam-dunked on by critics (laughs) and fans alike for the most part, I know some people liked it, but they were mostly people who don't take showers very often. And, um... (laughs) And, uh... uh, (laughs) I think had that not happened they wouldn't have just given it to James Gunn and been like, do whatever. And I'm so grateful they did because I have a new movie that I love and a new film that I love, and that's always something mm-hmm. I'll appreciate. Especially it being a superhero movie. Too, yes. So. And that is, yeah. so this has been the Cut Tape Podcast, mm. episode two. Uh, Very long one. Yeah, it's a long one, and uh, we hope to see you next week. Two more minutes, we can get to an hour 45. (laughs) Make sure you tune in next week. I believe we're doing The Green Knight. 
yeah, which yeah. is an A24, an A24 film, a real art house film, and considering the only two things we've talked about on this podcast so far has been old, a bad movie, an M. Night movie, definitely not an art house film, and The Suicide Squad, a giant summer blockbuster, mm-hmm. um, I think doing an art house film will be fun. Mm-hmm. I hope you'll tune in, and um, I hope you'll see The uh, Suicide Squad. Definitely deserves a watch. Um, have a good rest of your week. Adios. Right. Signing off. Signing off here. Goodbye. <laughs> and cut.